It's Light the Tower, your daily look around the world of sports with Hall of Fame broadcaster and voice of the Texas Longhorns, Craig Way. And Horns 24-7 insider, Jeff Howe. On your live, local, and independent home for sports talk in Austin, The Horn. As we traverse the week, we draw closer to the weekend, and we're glad of it. Certainly glad also that we have a beautiful day today. Toward that end, good morning, everybody, and welcome to Light the Tower. On the horn, 1049, 1019, AM 1260, or live, local, and digital on the horn app. And at hornfm.com. My name is Craig Way. Glad to have you with us. Jeff Howe will be along shortly. I'm with you for the first uh, half hour of this program this morning, and then Jeff will take you the rest of the way, and he will do it with our man behind the glass this morning. The youthful, the exuberant, the talented, the intelligent. I did put intelligent at the back end of uh, the the deals, but Jack Farrell is our producer this morning. Good to see you. How you doing? Doing well, Craig. How about you? Great. Jack, of course, does, does a great job as our uh, engineer on site for Longhorn Weekly with Rodney Terry, which, by the way, is not, you're going to be over there tonight, right? I will. Long yeah. day for me. Yeah. Okay. Um, so uh, uh, Longhorn Weekly with Rodney Terry from Pluckers, the West Campus location, will come your way tonight at 7 o'clock. Tyrese Hunter will be our special guest. That'll be fun tonight. We yeah, working through the whole roster. Will we see yeah. everyone by the end of the year? Yeah. I, I, well, uh, in in the remaining shows that we have left, we're trying to get through as many as as we can uh, there. So uh, Tyree Center will be there tonight. So we look forward to bringing folks the program together. As I mentioned, I, I'll be here the first half hour. And speaking along with basketball, um, I'll be headed over to uh, on campus to uh, MC the. Uh, monthly women's basketball luncheon with Vic Schaefer and Longhorn players will be there. That's always a fun time. And it's in the uh, uh, north end zone in the touchdown club. And it's free, by the way. You know, they say there's no such thing as a free lunch. Well, there is if you, if you go over there today. So uh, free admission to the lunch over there. So uh, that'll be that'll be happening later this morning. So uh, Jeff will be here momentarily with us. And uh, he and Jack will take you the rest of the way. Plenty to discuss, obviously. You can, um, you know, you can start with the Super Bowl since we're now headed down uh, toward uh, the the game itself on Sunday, and of course, the Horns' big game coverage is brought to you by Texas Truck and Trailer, located in Leander on Crystal Falls Parkway and in Northeast Austin at I thirty five in Runberg. Call Texas Truck and Trailer at five one two five two eight six zero three eight. That's five one two five two eight six zero three eight. Thursday used to be, uh, for the game itself, there would be uh, press conferences there and there would be this uh, big kickoff lunch. And it was at such an event that perhaps, I do say perhaps, I'd have to think about it, but I, 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 I can't think of one that would top it, that perhaps the biggest off field event or something that happened with an event that was connected to the game itself took place. I'm speaking of January 1969, because it was at the Thursday uh, Touchdown Club luncheon in Miami in January of 1969 that Joe Namath, in that luncheon, uh, somebody uh, had shouted out that the Baltimore Colts were going to just destroy the Jets, and he goes, hey, let me tell you, not only are we going to be in the game, we're going to win the game. I guarantee it. That happened in the Thursday luncheon. And so then the next day in the paper splashed all over, you know, Namath guarantees Jet victory. And uh, so that happened with uh, the luncheon. Now, things have changed. The dynamics have changed with uh, regard to this game in that they have press conferences at various times throughout the week, and this just started building up over time. 
Uh, I can remember uh, covering uh, when the Cowboys played Buffalo back-to-back, uh, and the first one was in the Rose Bowl in uh, Los Angeles or Pasadena. They had, they had the event spread out over a variety of places, including – uh, the Santa Monica Convention Centers, where they had some media availabilities there. Of course, they had the Media Day itself, which is now called Super Bowl Opening Night. But the Media Day itself uh, was in Dodger Stadium, and they just kind of herded all of us media through, back behind the center field wall, opening up, and we just ran across the outfield to stake our positions out to do interviews. You know, here I'm running across center field at the home cathedral, my favorite major league team, and all I can think of is get to the front row of the podium to get sound with him at Smith. That was the only thing that was going through my mind at the time. So uh, there is that as they continue to draw closer to the game itself. Then, of course, the trade deadline in the NBA and the massive deal the Brooklyn Nets made with the Phoenix Suns. Uh, Kevin Durant and T.J. Warren going to Phoenix for three players, four first-round draft picks, and a pick swap as well. Um all the information that I had heard after the Kyrie Irving deal was done with the Mavericks was that they were trying to bring in more pieces to help Kevin Durant. That was every indication that had been given by the Nets. Jack, I could only see, as, as a guy who follows the NBA as you do, I, I, I could only see that as they came to a point in their meetings, and they had meetings with with uh, Kevin uh, over the past several days. They must have arrived at a point where they looked at it with Kyrie leaving that Kevin looked around and they looked around and said, "You know, this is a rebuild. What we're we're just we're looking at basically blowing it up and starting it all over." And Kevin was probably like, "If that's going to happen, I, I need to go somewhere where I can have a chance to win a title." Enter Phoenix. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the Kyrie Irving deal, that was weird from the jump. Uh, taking Dinwiddie, Dorian Finney-Smith, good player, I like him. Uh, and and one, a 2029 first-round pick? Yeah. Uh, let, that, you know, let me tell you what that was, because I know this on good authority. That was uh, addition by subtraction. The Nets wanted so much management, uh, front office management and ownership, just wanted to unload Kyrie Irving. They I, were they yeah, were done with him. Absolutely. But if, if that's the case, I think you would have to maybe go for I know the that Joe Sy didn't want to trade Kyrie to the Lakers. That right. came out later, but those picks yep. are extremely valuable. And now you have not great return on Kyrie. I like the return for Phoenix, Michael Bridges and Cam Johnson, good players as well as all the picks. But it's it doesn't really make sense. And as a Rockets fan who owns all of Brooklyn's draft capital through twenty twenty seven, you have to feel Pretty good. Yeah, 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 like that. Yeah, yeah. So you're a Rockets fan. Yes, sir. You're a valid Rock, Rockets fan. I see you with the Astros hat on. That is old school throwback Astros. That's from the blue and gold, like mid 90s, the late 90s to early 2000s day, right? Before they went to the was it the brick color that they called it at first when they were really uh, rolling in that. So, so okay. Uh, uh, and and like I said, that. Uh, was more about addition by subtraction there that they were just they were done with Kyrie and wanted to do something so it's a complete rebuild in Brooklyn now with uh, Kevin headed to uh, Phoenix to play for the Suns where he does have an opportunity to play for a title so uh, when you think of what they have in that in that lineup now that's you know that's pretty formidable what the Suns are going to have down the stretch. Yeah, uh, Chris Paul in there. Just you can even take him off of uh, an offensive workload. He can just be the passing guy. And uh, I think a little underrated people haven't talked about is getting T.J. Warren back in that deal because they Absolutely. had to give up um, Michael Bridges, former Villanova standout, and Cam Johnson, UNC standout. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's that's a lot of depth to give up. Which I mean, you have to do. It's Kevin Durant, but getting back another wing who can score a little bit, who can defend a little bit, uh, and T.J. Warren is a huge get for the Suns. He has, of what is projected to be their starting five, the lowest scoring average, and it's still at 10 points a game. So, uh, you know, with everybody, and they've got two now multi-20-point scores, certainly. So it's it's uh, it's going to be interesting uh, where he goes from there. Uh, uh, I, I did not know this, but now I know this because you mentioned you're an Astros fan, so that puts you in league 
with my co-host, the pride of Northwest Williamson mm-hmm. County and a proud graduate of Florence High School. Uh, Always. He's also a proud Houston Astros fan as well. You know him best for his outstanding work at Horns 24-7. That's Jeff Howe. The, uh, his, his hat that Jack has on today, this is what, that's mid-90s to early 2000s? That's my, uh, yeah, 99 was the last year they had the, yeah, shooting okay. star, the shooting star uniforms. That's my favorite Astros uniform. It ever. is? The blue and yep. gold? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I did not know With that. The shooting star, yeah, the, the 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 red and black brick look when they moved to Enron, yeah. what is now Minute Maid. It was it's okay. It's not my mm. favorite, but. Yeah, the shooting star uniforms were my favorite. How are you with the blue and orange now going? Uh, the, better than uh, better than I was with the the brick look, the uh, the Lance Berkman yeah uh, uniforms yeah. as yeah. I'll call them. I think of Roy Oswalt too when I yeah. uh, see those as well. Wandy Rodriguez. Yeah, yeah. There you uh, go. You see now you're talking about guys from when I was covering the Express that made it up there. That was one. That's true. It's like the the prime years of my Astros fandom, which coincided with the the downhill slide that organization took. But. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's uh, no, yeah, the, the brick ones were okay. I didn't, I didn't hate them, but I didn't, didn't love them either. Yeah, I guess you know a lot with sports. Now, when know. I see that logo, all I think about are like the hundred lost seasons and and the end before they made the change. Love, love the uniform look now. Yeah, yeah, uh, absolutely. Um, okay, so uh, your take on this Kevin Durant trade? Well, you know, I, I want to. I'm glad we're we're talking about this while you're still here because I wanted to do this because anytime Kevin Durant gets brought up, I, I know the bulk of the conversation that's going to follow with people people feel the way about Katie that they do. Of the the three of us here right now, you know Kevin Durant better than any of us, and no kid, you know Kevin Durant better than a lot of people do. Miss, would you say he's maybe one of the most misunderstood, without question, superstar athletes of, yeah. of this generation? Yeah. Yeah, I, I I I certainly feel that way, um, and and it's you know I, Kevin does bring some of the stuff on himself. Right, there's no doubt about it. He's said that to me before. Mm-hmm. Um, but I know he wants to win. I know he wants to be a good teammate. It got to the point in Oklahoma City where it was not going to work uh, with with Westbrook and and Harden. It yeah. just wasn't going to work. And uh, and then he really tried. A lot to try to make it work in Brooklyn. He wanted to play with Kyrie Irving. He figured that together. They got very, very close. As our man CB said on the Specs text line, if his toe uh, isn't on the line, uh, the Bucks don't uh, win the championship because the Nets would have won the Eastern Conference Final. He was clearly uh, the the better player in that series, even over Atenakumpo, over Giannis. But it happened the way it happened. So now he gets another opportunity to win by going out there to Phoenix. I mean, it's a loaded roster mm-hmm. from that. So uh, yeah, I think I think that's probably a fair statement on that. So we'll see where it happens. From yeah, there. I, you know, I think the other thing about KD too is that from you know conversations that I've had with people who know him very well, mm-hmm. the, the thing about Kevin Durant, he's all about basketball. He he mm-hmm. he's not one for for the BS and for all the, the ancillary stuff. He's, you know, some people have hobbies. Some people have other interests. Uh, I heard I heard an interview with Troy Aikman, and he was describing uh, the difference between, like, Andy Reid, because Troy's known Andy Reid for a long time. Yeah. And, and obviously he played for Jimmy Johnson. He said Jimmy knew when it was time to get out of the game, and he lives mm-hmm. in the Keys, and he fishes, and he's happy. He's great. He said Andy Reid's life is is football. It's being around young players, and he's like that. That is his fishing. Is be is being in football. Uh, Kevin Durant, the other interests, the hobbies. It's basketball. That's it pretty much everything that Kevin Durant's about revolves around the ball and the court and playing ball. When he came in recently for a game, I'm trying to think if this was Alabama game. Oh, are you talking about another a different time? No, no, no. You're right. It was the Alabama game. Yeah, I was trying to think. I thought it was a football game when he came in for the Alabama game because he was here for I think two weeks. Yeah, working out and then was here for the the week of the game. When he came in uh, for the Longhorn Hall of Honor thing, there mm-hmm. was some suspense about him being able to actually make it in. There were some other things that were going on, but he was able to work the schedule. So he works. He works it out. He gets the to town. He's there on the sidelines there when they introduced the Hall of Fame class. And uh, then he turned to Scott McConnell afterwards and said, how can I get back over to the gym? And Scott said, did you leave something? He said, no, I need to get some shots up. <laughs> and he went straight back into <clears throat> into the practice facility and worked for two hours yeah. afterwards. So you're right. 
I, you know, that's that's what he does. Yeah. Um, so now he has a chance to team up with some really talented guys in Phoenix and Chris Paul and DeAndre Ayton and the rest of that group and have a chance to win a title. It's got to be the biggest. The Brooklyn experiment's got to be the biggest, uh, you know, big three failed experiment in the history of basketball. I mean, the only the only other one that I can think that worked worse was the one year that the Rockets did the the Barkley Elijahwan Pippen bit, but that was only for a year, and everybody knew at that point those, especially Barkley and Pippen, were definitely their best years were behind them at that point. And now watching the Last Dance, I think Rockets fans probably realize how beat up Scottie Pippen was by the time he got to Houston. Uh, but this one, I, I think I think I read Kyrie Irving. Kevin Durant and James Harden, I think, only played 16 games together. Yeah. It's unbelievable. Yeah. And, you know, I, they're talking about Kyrie's a whole different ball of wax, but uh, I just think it, it was at the point where the Nets just decided, and and look, if, you're, if you've got a superstar like Kevin Durant, you have to be forthright with him. Either you're going to be able to quickly build this thing around him and, and bring some assets in, or... You're in that mode of, hey, just gather expiring contracts and we're going to detonate this thing and, and start over. Mavericks fans will remember Jim Jackson, uh, Jason Kidd. And Jamal Mashburn. And Jamal Mashburn. That's a three that legend, never got done. There. Legend would have it that Tony Braxton broke yeah, yeah, that yeah, thing up, yeah. but all, all parties have since disputed that uh, that urban legend. Yeah, uh, Robert Giddings says Kobe, Nash, and Howard wasn't great. That's another. That's one. true in 2012. But, but again, yeah. that was that was Kobe towards the end, and that was a beat up. You know, Steve Nash was a shell of himself mm-hmm. at that point. You got Kyrie Irving in his prime. You know, James Harden's not that far removed from an MVP year, and and Kevin Durant at that point still. I mean, even though he's coming off, uh, what was he coming off the Achilles injury? I think at that mm-hmm. point, uh, you know, still it, we saw it in that playoff series, like the, the CB just mentioned against against the Bucks. Yeah, you you still got some really good years of Kevin Durant. So I, I think this one's a bigger failure. Here, here's here's part of the the misunderstood thing that you're talking about. Our, our good friend, Police Chief Cantu, says looking for easy championships like LeBron. First of all, nothing's easy on that, <laughs> on that going to there, and uh, secondly. Nothing's easy for Kevin. He goes in, he works, he puts his work in, he grinds. He's an MVP, a uh, finals MVP twice. The guy goes in and does his work mm-hmm. off of that. So there's nothing easy about what's going on. That's the Oklahoma City viewpoint where the die ah, cupcake, you know, cupcake. I was there for uh, the game, uh, his first game back when they went with all the cupcake stuff, and I think he put 38 on the uh, on the uh, Thunder that night. We're all looking for opportunities to be with like-minded individuals who can help us achieve and and go to a better – no matter what line of work we're in. I'm sure, Chief, if there was a better uh, a police department that, that needed you, that wanted you, and was better funded and wanted more – uh, wanted more of your experience and and leadership off of that. It would it be a hard thing to turn down. I, no question about it. Well, uh, we're on track for Chris Paul to to get a title and continue his line mm-hmm. of being the most overrated point guard in the history of the league. <laughs> I'm serious. Like, am I am I wrong about Jack? Am I wrong about that? Like, I think Chris Paul is the most overrated point guard. People are like, oh my gosh, Chris Paul's a top two or three point guard. You want me to start listing the point guards that are better all time than than Chris Paul? There are better ones. There have been better ones. I don't. I'm a little uncomfortable with the word overrated. The guy's I, no, had himself. I'm, a I'm not. I'm very comfortable with it. Like I, I see point guard rankings. I'm like, you're going to tell me Chris Paul's a better player than Isaiah Thomas? You're going to tell me Chris nope. Paul's a better player than John Stockton? These these are these are bas- quote unquote basketball historians that have Chris Paul ranked ahead of these guys. Okay, I, just, I, I yeah. wouldn't agree with those. Yeah. I wouldn't agree with those. If you want to tell me he's top ten at his position all time, okay, yeah, I'll, yeah. I'll buy that. If you want to tell me it's like, oh, it's 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 magic, and then it's Chris Paul, no, not even not no. even not even close. He's probably like six or seven in that range, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. just off the top of my head, Isaiah yeah. Thomas, Magic Johnson, John uh, Oscar Robertson, um, Steph Curry, and then I think like kid Chris Paul and Stockton. I know Chris uh, Stockton has all the assist numbers, but just uh, didn't. Bring it in the same way as a scorer, and also was just dumping it into Carl Malone all the time. Plus, give John Stockton credit for continuing to wear nutters in an era where baggy shorts were becoming more popular. He didn't. Speaking of which, CB says CP CP three master nut puncher, as he uh, points out there. <laughs> since you're mentioning that, so but I loved that 18 Rockets team. That was my senior year of high school. 
that was that was one of my all-time sports lows was seeing Chris Paul go down with that hamstring at the end of game five yeah uh, uh chief says I just think KD and LeBron are a different breed than MJ and Kobe remember Kobe orchestrated the thing where he was where he was uh, gonna go to LA to begin with yeah a la Eli Manning you know not gonna go to San Diego remember that he was not he was not gonna be a Charlotte Hornet <laughs> The be- the best Kobe pre-draft story is the one Jerry West tells where they're doing a workout. They get about ten minutes into it, and Kobe's dominating, and Jerry West gets on the floor and yells, "Stop! Stop the workout!" And they're like, "This is going great. Why are you stopping?" He's like, "We can't do anymore because I don't want word to get out on how good this kid is." Yeah, absolutely. So I mean, that was going to be orchestrated to make that happen uh, for uh, certainly. Uh, and I mean, that. look you. <laughs> You can go find plenty of times in Kobe's career where a trade was requested or talked about, or there was one time, Craig, and it's not revisionist history on my part. There was one time where it was it was wondered was there going to be a trade for Kobe going to Dallas, and maybe maybe Dirk yeah. Nowitzki would be involved. Yeah, which would have broken my heart at the time. But yeah. it's not. It's not like I know everybody loves to look at Kobe and think it was all sunshine and rainbows. But go back and look, at especially like the years between the Shaq years and the Phil Jackson years. It's or the Pau Gasol years, there's a lot of stuff in there. Yeah. Uh, somebody said, I have a soft spot for Chris Paul because he did great for New Orleans and made them cool. Yeah. Okay. Back in the day, yeah, when they first uh, first went there. And Stoner says, Chris Paul has got more mileage out of zero titles than Kyrie has gotten out of one, mostly thanks to LeBron. <laughs> no disagreement. No disagreement uh, with that. So, yeah, there's there's that. Um uh, the the uh, to college basketball, uh, the Longhorn men are still in sole possession of first place, thanks to West Virginia, who beat Iowa State last night, seventy six seventy one. That thing went to the wire. I had it on my iPad while I was calling the women's mm-hmm. game. It was something. Every time I looked, the score changed, or was down to one point, or something like that. It was it was something else. If you're going to win a conference championship, that's the kind of stuff I'm talking about. It like what like with Iowa State. You can't blow a 23-point lead in Lubbock, nope. and, and you've got a, cl- a game like that in Morgantown, you've got to close it out. Yeah, uh, and, and of course, so the Longhorns are in sole possession of first, and West Virginia's kind of found another gear of late, just in time to come to Moody for an 11 a.m. tip-off on Saturday morning. Mm-hmm. Uh, Texas women are still in sole possession of first. They had to win last night in order to hold on sole possession of first place by a game over Oklahoma. They did. Uh, they won over Texas Tech, uh, 80-71. They had had a, a good second quarter and a great third quarter, and they were blowing Tech out of the water. Twenty, They were up 22 points, and then just kind of got sloppy with it. They got foul difficulty. Rory Harmon fouled out of the ball game, which is rare for her, and, uh, the, and then Tech started pressing, and they got it to where it was on the edge of being uncomfortable. They got to nine, and that's as close as they got, but they did win, and uh, somebody asked me, it was at Moody last night watching the women's game, what was your thoughts from the officiating? It's the same as it always is. The, uh, the quality of officiating, this is unfortunate, but the quality and depth, and that's the key word there, depth, in the, in the pool of officials uh, for the women's game is far below that for the men's game. Uh, and when Kevin Weiberg was the commissioner of the Big 12 Conference, he told me, he said, we can't get enough uh, really good, talented officials. And the ones they do get a lot of times – uh, they wind up losing to another league or to the men's game. Amy Bonner is an outstanding official in the women's game. She's she's working uh, Big Twelve men's games now, mm-hmm. and uh, so that's that's part of it. And officials sometimes they have a real hard time deciding whether out front or even subconsciously whether they're calling a game tight or not. And that it was kind of a it was kind of swinging back and forth between what they were calling and what they weren't calling, and it got to be a really difficult time for them to where you couldn't even look at a player in the paint or you would get called for a foul. <laughs> so it, that's that's what I thought about All it I ask from officiating crews is consistency. If you're yeah. going to be ticky-tack, then be consistently ticky-tack. If you're going to let it go, consistently let it go. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And um, and and that was something that Kathy Harston talked about last night on the broadcast. With us. She, you know, I said they've got to – they have to adjust – to the way the game is going to be called tonight, mm-hmm. if indeed it's going to be called that way throughout the entire year. And for the most part it was, but there were times where you were like, what? You know, that's something that went uncalled or whatever. But uh, I've come to expect that. It happens, unfortunately. So uh, Ice Cream Maine says, did you hear King McClure doing the West Virginia game? 
Uh, didn't know he was doing games. He was terrible, and he hates Texas. <laughs> I've heard King a lot. I don't know about terrible on that. I like, I like King. Uh, that is, uh, I'm sorry. I just sort of like the hates Texas part, and I don't know why that tickled me, but it did. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, anyway, so, uh, so, so Rory never wants to come out. I get it, but is Vic going to continue to let her play with four? We have no viable backup at point to get that to, but curious the approach. Uh, we'll talk about it today at the lunch when I leave here in a few minutes to go to the lunch. And Rory, for her own part, said on the post game last night, she said, I could have made some better decisions when I got to three and four fouls about how aggressive I was going to be. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's a conversation between the player and the coach going, hey, you got three, or hey, you got four. I got it. I'll be okay. And sometimes it works out, and sometimes it doesn't. So, um, you know, it, they have several different balls. It was complicated by the fact they didn't have Sonny Morris available. Yeah, She's out, hopefully not real long, but it's like a thigh contusion thing. So she's she couldn't play. Uh, last night, and may not have be available Saturday against TCU. I'll be quite honest; I don't think they'll need her against TCU. Uh, they're zero and twelve in the Big Twelve now. The uh, TCU women, and um, and not even in most games. They're uh, so, but they'll uh, they've got ball handlers, but they just have to do a better job against the press. I don't think there's any doubt about that. All right, um, I'm going to tell you what, what do you got coming up on the notebook. Uh, we'll dive into a little uh, winter workout and some winter workout cool. notes. Okay. All on right. the gridiron. Yeah. Uh, so Jeff and Jack, J&J, will take you the rest of the way. Uh, that's coming up here as I head over for uh, the women's basketball luncheon that I'm uh, serving as MC for for that. And then obviously I'll, I'll be back tomorrow for the full show on that. So uh, stay with us. This is Light the Tower on the Horn, 104.9, 1019, AM 1260. We're live, local, and digital on the Horn app and at hornfm.com. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Craig Way and Jeff Howe light the tower. You think that people would have had enough of silly love songs? Well, look around me and I see it so Rolling along, hour number one of Light the Tower on the Horn. Jeff Howe. Craig Way is out. Actually, on his way to the elevator right now. Got to go in and see a Vic Schaefer luncheon down on the 40 acres. So. I'll be taking you solo through the next 90 minutes of Light the Tower, leading you up to Chad and Zay at, uh, at noon, noon to 3. And then at 3, they'll pass it to Rod and Harge for Ball Don't Lie from 3 to 7 to close out your uh, broadcast day. All right, uh, Jack, let's go. It's, it's uh, Jack behind the glass today. Uh, Cameron is out. Jack, are you here tomorrow? Because I think Cameron's out tomorrow, too, as well, right? Yes, sir, I am. I'll be you, back. You're here tomorrow? Great. Let's go ahead and... Uh, we're going to do four of these, Jack, while you're our producer, so let's go ahead and get one out of the way. It is this hour's edition of the Longhorn Notebook. Jeff Howe's Longhorn Notebook. A Longhorn Notebook brought to you by Aaron Bowersock. Bowersockteam.com. She is your home loan expert. Let Aaron do for you what she did for Craig and Linda when they made the move to Georgetown. Very easy, seamless home loan process. Uh, took all the burden off of them. It was outstanding. Craig has nothing but good things to say about Aaron and the job her team did. Let her take care of all of it. It's Aaron Bowersock, Bowersockteam.com. She is your home loan expert. As Craig said, I just want to mention this real quick. Texas on the men's side. Uh, and uh, Ice Cream Maine, I think you're the one that texted it in about the uh, the King McClure issue. So if you uh, Ice Cream Man, I'll tell you what, if you can text back in and tell me at what point in the game that was, I'll see if I can pull that up uh, later today on ESPN Plus if it's on the replay and uh, and check it out. But he said his partner asked him who he likes for the Big 12, and he said Baylor, Iowa State, and Kansas. Then asked him what about Texas, and he said, I hate Texas, and then went on to say Tyrese Hunter is not good. So if that was the case, then 
let me give me like a general idea of a time marker on that. I'll go back and check that out, and uh, we will stand corrected on our King McClure take if uh, if that indeed was the case. But with Iowa State's loss to West Virginia, Texas, who hosts West Virginia at eleven o'clock in Moody Center on Saturday, ten thirty with the pregame with Craig and Eddie, we'll get you started here on the Horn and across the Austin Radio Network, leading you up to the eleven o'clock tip. It's Texas and West Virginia on Saturday. West Virginia got a home win over Iowa State last night. That moves Iowa State into what is now a four-way tie for second place in the Big 12 with Kansas State, Kansas, Baylor, and Iowa State all owning seven and four records. You've got TCU and Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State's played really well of late. They're not, they were, they, it was just kind of a struggle to get to 500. Now they're one game above 500. you got TCU and Oak State both at six and five. And then a little bit of separation there, West Virginia at 4-7, and seven, Oklahoma at 2-9, and nine, and then Texas Tech. We talked yesterday about what a rough go it's been for the Red Raiders, 1-10 in the league, uh, and we'll keep checking to see when they're, when and if they're going to get Pop Isaacs and Farah Zamek back, but it doesn't look like Mark Adams said the other day in his media availability. Uh, had no update on that, so it's uh, it may, remains to be seen if and when they'll come back. But Texas, that 8-3 and three conference record, uh, sole possession of first place heading into this West Virginia game. And yeah, we'll talk more about the West Virginia game tomorrow when Craig is back, but this is one of those, you know, I, I've talked about this throughout conference play. If you're going to win a conference championship, you have to split your schedule up at this point once you get to the halfway point and look at, okay, splits and sweeps. Did we lose a game the first go-around? And in the in the rematch, can we split that series? Texas did that by going on the road to Manhattan and beating Kansas State, avenging that loss at home. So you split with K-State. That's great. Uh, you know, you, you when you host West Virginia, when you host Oklahoma – those are going to be opportunities where you can get the home win and complete the sweep. So this Saturday, if Texas is going to win the Big 12, it's about as must-win as a must-win can be. You'd love to get the sweep over West Virginia, get to 9-3 and three overall in the league, because at the very least, you're going to be at least a game up on whoever's in second place. And in some cases, you can be two games up on some of the tougher competition. Maybe a couple of those teams you've got to play down the stretch because you've still got to host Kansas. That's going to end the regular season. You've still got to go to Waco. Iowa State still has to come to Austin. And with Iowa State, it's a situation where you lost the names. Now, to avoid the sweep, you've got to win that home game against Iowa State. You'd like to win in Waco. To get the to to get the sweep, but at the very least, you're going to split with Baylor. You'd love to go to Lubbock and get a win over Texas Tech to sweep that series. And then, like I mentioned with Kansas losing at Allen Fieldhouse, that could be a game at the end of the regular season that it, it's all on the line in that game. It's kind of a winner take all situation with the Longhorns and the Jayhawks with a conference championship on the line at the end of the regular season. Kansas won it on the final day of the regular season last year by beating Texas and uh, sewing up a conference championship, so we'll see what happens on the basketball front. But we'll get more into the nitty-gritty with West Virginia coming up tomorrow. And again, the good thing with that, if you're a Texas fan, is you've already seen West Virginia once this year when Texas went up to Morgantown. Uh, even though West Virginia, they are capable of, uh, of beating anybody on a given night, as we saw with uh, you know, with, with Iowa State last night. Uh, but Texas won that game in, in, uh, in Morgantown earlier this year, and and won it. I don't want to say handedly won it, but they were able to salt that game away down the stretch in the second half. All right, let's talk a little Texas football. It is Thursday, so that means the insider is posted at Horns 24-7. You can get over there, find all kinds of good stuff, including uh, Chip Brown. Chip's been running point on the Texas-Oklahoma Big 12 exit. Chip has the latest on that in the insider, but also in the insider, got some notes on winter workouts and how those things are going. And the big story right now is the work ethic of Kelvin Banks. We we saw this season how talented he is. Second team all-conference. Some people could argue maybe he should have been a first team all-conference player as a true freshman, a freshman All-American. But that work ethic and the way he's attacked winter conditioning, uh, it's really setting the standard, setting the pace in the O-line room. And you've got three young guys, three mid-year enrollees in that room right now with Jaden Chapman, uh, Peyton Kirkland, Connor Stroh, uh, and and getting those guys all on the same page, uh, Andre Kojo as well, uh, getting those guys on the same page with where you're trying to go as a group. Uh, you know, Jake Majors is a veteran guy in there that's played a lot of football. Hayden Connor's been around here for a minute. But Kelvin Banks, uh, it usually helps when your best players are your hardest workers, and for Kyle Flood, that's what you've got 
with Kelvin Banks. Uh, according to a source, what makes Kelvin Banks so special and why are people following his lead? Quote, the way he goes about his work, he forces everyone else to match his intensity and to keep up. When you're getting that from a star player and the coaches don't have to be the ones constantly demanding it from everyone in the room, you just can't understand how valuable that is. That's the definition of being player-led. We always talk about it, player-led teams versus coach-led teams. Uh, I do think with these two recruiting classes that Sark has had for a full cycle now, the 22 class and the 23 class, this is where you're really going to determine whether this team going forward is going to be a player-led team or a coach-led team. And if Sark recruited the right kind of guys, the guys that are talented enough to help Texas win football games but can also set the tone in the offseason and set the tone by what they do every day, that's when you start getting somewhere and being a player-led team. It's the, the way Sark is putting together this roster really reminds me, and granted, you don't have the, the, the win totals yet that Mac Brown got early on. But you look at the kind of guys Mac Brown was bringing in early on, not just that, not just knew how to, not just that were really talented. A Chris Sims, a Corey Redding, a Bo Scaife, uh, a, a Rod Babers, a Roy Williams, a Sloan Thomas, a BJ Johnson, a Derek Dockery. Not only did you bring in really talented guys, but you brought in guys that understood what it was like to work, understood what it was like to come to work every day and be a professional. And I know there's a long way to go with these guys. For some of these guys in the 22 class that weren't there for the spring, this is going to be like their first kind of full tilt off season. It feels like there's a lot of that with these two classes. <laughs> and I, know I just saw it on the spec. I just happened to glance at the specs text line. I said Jeff, can you please tell Arch to get off of those scooters? My anxiety can't deal with it. Yeah, I think uh, I. Jack, I don't know how much this was out there during the season, but before the, the one of the things I was most thankful for with the NIL era coming along is the times that I would see Bijan come in, especially like his sophomore year, come in for immediate availability and like park a scooter near the elevator. And I asked him one time, I said, and I can share this now because Bijan's off to the NFL training. I was asked him one time, I said, hey, uh, How's the boss man feel about you being on a scooter getting around campus? He goes, honestly, I don't know if he knows. I'm like, dude, I didn't have to tell him to be careful. Like, it's just that would create so much anxiety for Longhorn fans if they saw Bijan rolling around campus on a scooter. So, yeah. Uh, hey, you know, Arch is trying to manage his time, so maybe the scooter helps with time management. But, yeah, I, I think a lot of people would just rather see him off the scooter. But he's a part. Arch is a part of that 23 class and that 22 class with Kelvin Banks. I just feel like there's something special about both of those groups. We'll ultimately see how it plays out, but man, it's about recruiting not again, not just talented guys that can help you win games, but guys that can be pros every day when they come to work. Guys that understand what it's like to work, that want to work, that want to get better. We talk about the player development piece a lot from the coaches in terms of, hey, do you have the right assistant coaches? Do you have the right strength program to develop guys, to get them better? If you got that stuff, that's great. You need that stuff. But there, then there's that old saying of, man, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. Man, if, guy, if, if guys just don't have that edge about them where they want to get better, you can have the best facilities and the best training staff and the best training table and the best strength coaches and assistant coaches. But, man, if guys just don't want to put in work on their own, they're going to plateau at some point. you got to do it on your own. And Kelvin Banks is definitely doing that right now with his work in the offseason. And I think people need to remember, too, uh, he dealt with a couple injuries. You know, that ankle injury kind of lingered for a while. Uh, he had a hand injury late in the year, so uh, he played through some pain. So Kelvin Banks, tough, dependable, talented, hardworking. Uh, I think it's safe to say what Mike Gundy said leading up to the Texas-Oklahoma State game this year is accurate because oh, Kelvin Banks was committed to Oklahoma State at one point. Uh Kelvin Banks is only going to be at Texas for three seasons. Once he, he's done with that junior year, uh, it looks like he's on a trajectory to leave and, and be a pretty high draft pick in the NFL. Maybe maybe he's the guy that at some point will will snap this string of no offensive linemen taken in the first round. With Mike Williams back in 2002, over 20 years ago, was the, uh, was the last first-round offensive lineman that Texas had. Justin Blaylock got close, and Connor Williams was on the periphery, but maybe it's Kelvin Banks. Uh, that breaks it. Cedric Baxter's continuing to get a really good opportunity to get reps with the offense. Uh, you know, Jonathan Brooks is recovering from hernia surgery. Jaden Blues had kind of a shoulder deal. So Cedric Baxter, uh, just in terms of you know when they when he's 
kind of looking at football stuff and at least getting, you know, when you're working out in groups, uh, he's getting a really big opportunity to show the coaches kind of what he's about, at least from a from a workout standpoint, a work ethic standpoint. Uh and that work work ethic apparently has been really good. He's getting uh, substantial reps with the ones in the limited workouts the team has uh, right now. So a really good opportunity. And again, I've said it before. I'll say it again. Running back is one of the few positions on the field where you can count on a young guy to play early. Uh, if they're good enough, you usually figure it out pretty early. Think about all the great backs Texas has had over the years. There haven't been that many of them that just kind of slug through their first two or three years, and then, boom, they burst onto the scene. Even if you see flashes, like, think about Deontay Foreman. Like, maybe the production wasn't there, but you at least saw the flashes early on that he was going to be really good. Even a guy like Malcolm Brown, who still cashing checks in the NFL, you saw from Malcolm Brown early on that he was going to be really good. Jonathan Gray, pre-injury, you felt like he had an NFL trajectory, and then the Achilles injury for him really kind of threw things off, but Jonathan Gray was really good. From the jump, Jamal Charles was really good from the jump. Like I said, every now and then you'll get a guy like Chris Obaniah uh, that you know makes a position change and kind of works his way through a crowded backfield, and by the time he's a senior, ends up being a really valuable piece of what you do. But those guys are more so the exception than the rule. Typically, you 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 find out what you've got early, and those guys are really good. So maybe that's just going to be the case with Cedric Baxter. Uh, We talked earlier this week about some of the impressions, the first impressions that Chris Jackson has made as the receivers coach. Uh, He's getting to work with his guys now, and one guy that's apparently made a really big impression early on is A.D. Mitchell, uh, just in terms uh, of his length when the the quarterbacks and receivers have gotten together. His length has really been impressive, and we talked early, too, uh, just about – in the vertical passing game, his ability to stretch the defense, make those contested catches 20-plus yards down the field. We've gone through the numbers. Quinn Ewers was one of the worst deep ball-throwing quarterbacks in the Big 12 last year, one of the worst in the country when you look at completion percentage. Uh, A.D. Mitchell can help hike that completion percentage also with getting Isaiah Nayer back, so just getting more weapons in that receiver room. And something we didn't have a chance to talk about yesterday, Savion Red getting a look at running back. We mentioned with Jaden Blue kind of dealing with the shoulder thing and – Jonathan Brooks coming back from the hernia surgery. There's been a chance for for Cedric Baxter to get some reps, and Savion Red's getting a look there. I want to get more into that later because not only does he have the opportunity to do it, um, not only does he have the opportunity to do it, but I think when you look at kind of forming the identity of the offense, I think even if you weren't, even if you didn't have a need there right now, right to just get an extra body in the running back room for workouts. It makes a lot of sense in terms of forming the identity of the offense, and we'll get into that uh, coming up in the in the second hour. Uh, we'll we'll talk a little bit more about the Savion Red move and the notebook and the bigger picture in terms of what it means. Uh, some of the specs text line mentions Fozzie Whitaker as one of those guys. I'll disagree with that because we saw flashes from Fozzie, and Fozzie's big deal was health. Fozzie just needed to get healthy, and his senior year until that just god awful turf at Missouri claimed his knee. Uh, Fozzie showed when healthy. Could be a really big part of the offense. Was a really big part of that offense in 2011, running that Wildcat package. And, you know, Fozzie carved out a nice career for himself in the league, even coming off of that knee injury, that leg injury, played in the Super Bowl uh, for the Carolina Panthers when they played the Broncos in Super Bowl 50. So, like I said, those guys, the the guys that, you know, you don't really hear from, and then boom, they're really good as seniors at running back. You might hear from those guys. That might be the case sometimes, but more often than not, those guys are really good from the jump and produce, and then the production level just keeps ticking up and up and up. All right, take a break. Come back. Inconceivable. We'll close out hour number one here on Light the Tower on the Horn, live, local, and digital on the Horn app and at hornfm.com. Light the Tower. Inconceivable. 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 You keep using the horn. I don't think it means what you think it means. All right, Jack, I've got three. I'm going to give you producer's choice which one you want first. You want drama on an airplane, a shipwrecked 500-year-old floating castle, or a dog accidentally euthanized by human error? I don't like the dog one. I want to hear the castle. I want to hear about that first. We'll go castle, dog, airplane, because I can't end on the dog story. So we'll just go this one. Okay, so we've got... Uh, a 500-year-old shipwreck of a medieval European king's personal quote-unquote floating castle has been found to contain a quote-unquote thrilling haul of exceptionally well-preserved plant materials, including exotic species originating from the far-flung corners of the world. 
maritime archaeological excavations conducted at the wreck of the 115-foot-long vessel. Once the flagship of the Danish monarch, King Hans, have revealed a huge array of food items, many were luxuries accessible only to the elite at the time. Researchers have described it as an unprecedented discovery. So, Jack, you think this is going to be about treasure, like some kind of gold, a, a nice haul of booty, if you will? Yeah, I like that. Uh, buried pirate treasure, essentially, is nah, always this cool. Is, this Not is quite just pirates, like but just plants and herbs and whatnot. So. Yeah. But apparently, this Still into is. That. Uh, yeah, people are freaking out about this. Apparently, it's a uh, it's a really big find. Uh, Brendan Foley, who is the author of the study from the Department of Archaeology and Ancient History at Lund University in Sweden, told Newsweek, quote, This is perhaps the most thrilling haul of species from a shipwreck because of its age, quality of plant remains, exotic and expensive, spe- expensive spices, if I can talk right today, and the remarkable state of preservations. Beyond shipwrecks, this is certainly among the most fabulous discoveries of species in any archaeological context, land or sea. So something historic has happened at sea. Um, Got to talk about a dog getting put down. And I, I, I don't like these stories, but, you know, the, the headline caught my eye. The headline is dog accidentally euthanized by animal shelter in horror, quote unquote, human error. Told a story about uh, how we had to put our dog down. It's been a little over a month ago. Molly the dog, she, we had to put her down as... It's very sad. It's been it's been tough for the family, but uh, one of the hardest things I've ever had to do in my life, and it's it's a terrible thing to go through. It's one of those deals like you hear people talk about it, but you don't really know what it's like until you go through it. Uh, a North Carolina animal shelter has had to apologize and change its procedures after it mistakenly euthanized a woman's dog. I can't even imagine dealing with this. But Destiny Daniels, she had a two year old pit bull named Chaos who was brought into custody by Pitt County Animal Services on January 22nd and put into a 10-day bite quarantine. But the dog was euthanized instead of being reunited with its owner, according to uh, the NBC affiliate there in North Carolina. Daniels told the network, quote, I'm not bringing home an alive dog. I'm bringing home a cold body of a dead dog, according to the American Society for the prevention of cruelty to animals, approximately 6.3 million companion uh, animals enter U.S. shelters every year, and 3.1 million of these are dogs. Uh, there's some more data here from the ASPCA. Uh, the number of dogs and cats euthanized in the U.S. Sh- in U.S. shelters annually has declined from approximately 2.6 million uh, in 2011. It's about 920,000 shelter animals are euthanized each year in America. In a Facebook post on Monday, February 6th, Pitt County Animal Services wrote, quote, through human error, the owner's desire for the dog to be returned was incorrectly entered into the computer system. Animal Services deeply regrets this incident and offers our sincere apologies. You accidentally euthanized my dog. You have to do a hell of a lot more than apologize. Quote, during the internal investigation on Friday, February 3rd, the Animal Services director and the division's assistant county manager spoke with the dog owner about the incident. Uh, the shelter said procedures will be put in place to prevent similar incidents. Well, thank goodness for that. Uh, in the future, the shelter will contact the animal owner to verify their intent for recovering the pet, regardless of what is listed on the quarantine paperwork. Imagine that. Double checking. Hey, do you want us to put your dog down? No, I want my dog back. Okay, great. Come pick up your dog. Like a phone call could have prevented all of this from happening. But that is just is terrible. Quote, we regret our mistake. And through improved procedures, aim to provide the best care for all animals in our custody. Dude, that is just horrific. Jack, you ever had to put an animal down? Yeah, last uh, last August, my dog, who was 17 years old, my childhood dog, uh, we had to put him down. But uh, Awful, yeah, I can't, I can't imagine just... And, and then you get the, like, the PR generic apology. Like, we are apologize for the actions of the facility. It's just like, that would... That'd be a tough one to be like, yeah, it's okay. I'm going. That's a lawsuit. I'm going full Chris Ball, Chris Paul and going for kicking someone in the tenders. That happens, and that's the least I would probably do if my pet got accidentally euthanized. Yeah, mine was 16. We had to put her down. She turned 16 in November, so it's it's hor- It's horrible. It's awful. And for it to happen by accident, dude, that's the two year old dog. That's a puppy. I smell a lawsuit. So we'll see what happens uh, with that goes to court. All right. I love airplane drama as we close out this edition of Inconceivable. A confrontation on a, on a Delta Airlines flight 
from Orlando to New York last November ended with a Virginia family being removed from the airplane, and the husband and father of the family said they have yet to be compensated by Delta. The man reposted information about the ordeal on January 30th in a video that has since gone viral after he failed to hear anything substantive from Delta about the family's poor experience, he told Fox News Digital in a phone interview plus emailed comments. The male passenger and his wife and children boarded a Delta flight to LaGuardia Airport in New York on the afternoon of November 7th. 2022 the passengers uh, the passenger asked for his family's names to be omitted for privacy quote after we sat down in our seats the lady next to my wife had nowhere for her bag to go the traveler said he got up and tried to assist the other passenger quote i tried to move our stuff around to make enough room but was unable to make the bag fit the passenger who said he was in comfort plus coach seating jack you ever fly delta I don't think so. I'm a okay. Southwest not familiar. guy. I'm a Southwest P1 as well. I'm not familiar with Comfort Plus coach seating. Uh, said he asked first-class passengers in front of him if he might put the bag in one of their overhead bins. They all said no problem, he noted. At this point, the flight attendant started to yell at me, he said, because those bins are, quote-unquote, for first-class only. Calling her attitude Im- uh, immediately hostile, the traveler said the flight attendant then placed the passenger's kids' backpacks at their feet and attempted to place his oversized oversized backpack at his feet after pulling it down from an overhead bin. I told her, no, I will put it at my feet, the passenger said. First, I paid for Comfort Plus, and I'm not losing my leg room with my bag when I paid for an upgraded seat. He continued, when she realized my bag was too big for fitting underneath the seat, she took it out of one bin and slammed it in the other bin and stormed off. He added, quote, at this point, we thought she was done being a jerk to us. Soon the airline safety video began playing on an in, on individual TV screens as part of the pre-takeoff routine. Quote, she stands right in front of us, and I'm not looking up at her. So she asked very rudely for me to watch the video, saying, quote, I might learn something. Jack, you've flown plenty of times, right? When they're going through the whole spiel with the seatbelt and the vest, like people, the, the flight attendants are looking at you like, I know you're not paying attention, but I have to go through this whole spiel just in case. I've never seen anybody, any flight attendant on any airline I've flown be like, watch the video. You need to watch it. But apparently this flight attendant did. Quote, I pointed out I was watching the TV in front of me, said the airline passenger. He said the flight attendant then looked at his wife and said, quote, don't look at me with that stupid face. <laughs> the traveler said his wife and the uh, asked the attendant what she said, quote, and then the lady says she is from the Bronx and, quote, you don't want this, end quote. At this point, I started to video her, the traveler said, noting that his family stayed calm, said we never raised our voice. The flight attendant, quote, informed us we would be kicked off the plane and that I was not, that I was not allowed to video her. He continued, quote, I informed her that when you talk to us that the way you were talking to us, I will 100% video you. Uh, he also said, still, we are not getting upset, but we cannot believe this lady could talk to us the way she, she did soon about, quote, five people come on to remove us from the flight. Quote, once we saw them, we immediately got up and pleasantly walked off the plane. Dude, I'm just telling you, if that if if a flight attendant told my wife about quote, looking in her stupid face. I'm, it's safe to say we're probably not gently leaving the plane and calmly leaving the plane at that point. All right, that's going to do it for Inconceivable. Hour number two coming up next of Light the Tower on the Horn, live, local, and digital on the Horn app and at hornfm.com.